So, as Helen has said, we're continuing our series in Nehemiah. And you may be thinking, Nehemiah? That's a while back. Well, it was. Uh, We last looked at Nehemiah at the beginning of December. And so it might be quite a good idea to do a bit of a recap um, before we come on to this penultimate session. And then next week, Simon is going to finish the series off as we conclude our series on Nehemiah. So just a bit of a recap. Uh, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Anyone remember the king's name? Art. Artaxerxes. <laughs> I, I heard that, yeah. Brilliant. Well, King Art, that's pretty easy, isn't it? So he was cupbearer to the king. Um, they were in exile in Babylon or Persia. And, um, but some of the exiles had begun to return to Jerusalem. And uh, Nehemiah's brother was in Jerusalem and he came back to visit his brother Nehemiah and reported the fact that the walls of the temple, sorry, the walls of Jerusalem, the city walls, were in ruins. And this made Nehemiah really, really sad. Um, In fact, he wept, we're told, earlier in Nehemiah. But unlike many of us, who when we are fired up about something, we immediately do something, Nehemiah didn't do that. He prayed. In fact, he fasted. That's even harder than praying. Um, He prayed and he fasted and he just waited until God gave him an amazing opportunity with his boss, King Artie, um, gave him an opportunity to speak to him. And the thing is, in those days, it wasn't the done thing to be sad before the king. You could get into big trouble, uh, life-ending trouble. Um, But actually, it seems that Nehemiah couldn't control himself anymore and he expressed his sadness before the king. And the king said to him, what's wrong? And inspired by the spirit, Nehemiah was able to say to him, well actually, the city of my forefathers lies in ruins. I want to do something about it. And Artaxerxes not only gave him his blessing, but he actually provided materials and personnel to go with him to uh, rebuild the walls. And so then we fast forward uh, Nehemiah and his team in Jerusalem and again he doesn't act straight away he actually by night surveys the damage gets to lie of the land and then he summons the elders again he doesn't do it on his own he summons the elders he built, gets a team and we see how through his inspiring and envisioning leadership um, Nehemiah gets this team together and they rebuild the wall and they do it in 51 days which is pretty amazing But one of the key points of the book of Nehemiah is that the building, the rebuilding of the walls, is only a small part of what the book is about. What the book is about, it's about restoration. It's about rebuilding physically, yes, but also primarily about the restoration and rebuilding of the spiritual lives of those returning exiles. That's what it was about. And as we contemplate potentially uh, rebuilding the cross, Uh, reordering some aspects of our church, then we need to be certain that we do that from a foundation and place of waiting upon God, of praying and discerning his will. And I'm going to be telling you a bit later on how you can be part of that process as we introduce to you a, a questionnaire that we want you to complete as part of your discipleship and worship here at St. Stephen's. So that's what we're trying to learn from this book is that actually everything that we do needs to flow out of our relationship with God. It needs to flow out of a place of prayer. And I hope you've noticed over the last few years that we've really begun to 
um, introduce new ways of praying together in St. Stephen's. There's lots of opportunities to pray with others at St. Stephen's. They might not be convenient for everybody, I realise that. Um, But there are opportunities for us to pray together. And that's really important as we seek God's will. So let me just tell you what they are. So on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock, we've just introduced over the last few weeks, Centering Prayer. And this is a way of prayer which is simply about being silent before God and of being centred on him. There's been a lot of talk recently about mindfulness. And mindfulness is a good thing as far as I can see. But actually it's a shame that it's needed to be introduced by the secular world as something, because it's an ancient Christian discipline to meditate, to be silent before God. And so I'd really encourage you to think about that on a Monday morning if you're able to make it at nine o'clock. It's just half an hour, a time to be silent before God. Tuesday morning, we have morning prayer. And uh, we use the Northumbria Community Morning Prayer. That's nine o'clock again for about half an hour. Then once a month, 111 prayer is the first Monday of the month, just one hour between seven and eight uh, on a Monday evening. Again, just a fantastic opportunity to pray together uh, as the body of Christ here at St. Stephen's. And then throughout Advent, we had every Monday, we had a reflection and prayer on the Monday evening. And then as we come up to Lent, we will do that again. And during Holy Week, we'll definitely have reflections each night of Holy Week. So I'd really encourage you, as you consider the new year, as you, we approach Lent in a few weeks' time, that you consider making this one of your spiritual disciplines to join with others of your church family here at St. Stephen's in prayer if you can possibly make any of those times. If you cannot make those times physically, then maybe you could just take a moment during those times to pray. Even if it's really quickly as, as you go into a meeting or whatever, or you're on the tube or whatever it might be, or dropping the kids off. We want to be a church that is undergirded by prayer. And it's not just my job to pray. You know, my job isn't to pray on your behalf. I do pray for you. But my job is not to live your spiritual life for you. Your job as Christians is to pursue your relationship with the Lord. All I can do is give you some tools and some pointers as to how you do that. But actually, discipleship is an intentional activity that we each have to undertake. You know, we don't, we don't grow in maturity of faith by accident. It doesn't happen just by clocking in for a certain number of years at church. That's not discipleship. That's just attendance. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. It's, attendance is very important. But it's not being an attender of church doesn't make you a, um, a disciple any more than going to Sainsbury's makes you a carrot. You know. Um, sorry, that's a terrible, terrible example. <laughs> don't know where that came from. I'd obviously not, made, I'd not written that down. Um, but I think you get the point. That actually coming to church isn't what makes you a Christian. It's your daily walk with Jesus that makes you a Christian. And actually, it's not about a commitment you made five years ago, ten years ago, one year ago. It's about your ongoing walk with the Lord. That's what discipleship is. Daily walking with the Lord. And that's why spiritual disciplines are so important. So, just before, the last thing we did just before Christmas in thinking about Nehemiah was thinking about the importance of Scripture. And actually our key value here at St. Stephen's is being centred around Jesus. How do we know Jesus? Well, we know Jesus through prayer, by being with him. But we know Jesus is revealed to us most fully in Scripture. We need to read the Bible. 
to understand who Jesus is. And not just the New Testament, actually. We see Jesus revealed by the prophets and others, uh, the psalmists, throughout the, the Old Testament as they foresaw the Messiah that was to come. So reading scripture is really important. What we have here in Nehemiah is that as the, um, as the Israelites read scripture, they were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of the ways in which they had fallen short of God's standards, the way that they just wandered off from his path. And I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, it's like it holds a mirror up to us and it helps us to see our lives in perspective. It can encourage us. It can invite us into a relationship, a deeper relationship with God, but it can also challenge us and help us to see where we've sort of got a bit off track, uh, where our compass has gone a bit um, wonky. I've, got, I've supposedly got a compass on this watch, but the reality is, is that it doesn't stay accurate for very long, long. You've got to do this funny thing where you sort of turn around like this for several times to reset the compass, um, and you look a bit of a burp when you're doing it. Um, but it doesn't stay true very long. And it's a bit like that with us, isn't it? You know, we don't stay straight looking towards Jesus for very long. We have to reset our compass. And confession is part of that. So, we're going to look at what confession is. And in fact, we see from the example of the Israelites in Nehemiah that confession has two parts. The first part is confessing the truth of who God is, as Helen's already mentioned, when we say the creed, when we give thanks, we are confessing our faith. That's one aspect of confession, is confessing our faith in God, confessing the truth of who God is. The second part of confession, as you can see up there, is confessing the truth about ourselves, the truth about who we are, in light of having confessed who God is. So it's in two stages. So let's, let's look at what um, the Israelites did in Nehemiah, as recorded in Nehemiah. So this confessing the truth of who God is and what he has done includes thankfulness and it includes remembering what God has done. And this first step is about engaging in this lifelong journey of discipleship, about a life of thankfulness. Because for many of us, being thankful doesn't come that naturally. And thankfulness and celebration is actually a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline to begin each day saying, thank you, Lord. And that's why we very deliberately in many of our services begin the service by, saying, by inviting you to pray prayers of thanks and praise. Because that's part of our confession. It's part of our reorientation. It's part of resetting our compass. <laughs> as we give thanks to God and we remember actually that he is bigger and greater than all of our struggles and our problems. Yes, he cares deeply about our struggles and our problems, but actually he is the God of the universe and we need to thank him for that and bear that in mind with the rest of our life, put things in perspective. So in the first part of the prayer that we have recorded that Jerry read to us, what we have is the people coming before God, I think he said for the quarter of the day, uh, coming before God, giving thanks, and remembering what he has done in the past. So let me just uh, read verse 6 to you again. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth 
and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And then they go on to record some of the key events in their history. The covenant with Abraham, their delivery from slavery in Egypt, the way God guided them during their 40 years in the wilderness, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and it goes on. If you read the whole of the first uh, 32 verses, 31 verses of that chapter, you will see that it's all about remembering before God what he has done, uh, but also acknowledging where they have not always followed in his ways. In verse 8 we read, You have kept your promises because you are righteous. So confessing what God has done builds faith. It gives us confidence in God's faithfulness. Remembering is more than just recalling events of the past. It's actually recognising how we are participants in the overall story of salvation. And that's why there's different parts of our service where we remember what God has done. We remember what God has done in the creed as we state our faith. We remember what God has done as we give thanks to him for his faithfulness. And of course, most profoundly, in a a bit later on, we're going to remember what God has done through Jesus as we participate in communion. And it's not just about reenacting what happened uh, at that first Last Supper all those years ago. But it's actually about recognising that we are part of this story of salvation. We enter into this story and we remember in a profound and deep way that we are caught up in this salvation story and that we actually are the ones who take the story forward as we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you will know that I had the privilege of having a retreat last week from Monday to Thursday and I've done this now for the last three or four years it's actually part of my terms and conditions as a vicar to have a retreat and I think that's a really good thing to have a retreat once a year and for me that's a resetting of my compass of trying to think through and pray through how is God wanting me to reorientate my life towards him so that I can better lead this church and reorientate help all of us to reorientate our lives Uh, centred around Jesus and one of the ways in which I do that is that I keep a journal because I don't know about you who is really good at remembering things some of you might be everyone's a bit tentative about putting a hand up in fact no one did because we're actually quite bad at remembering stuff aren't we and so I'd really encourage you as maybe another spiritual discipline to begin this year is to keep a journal And what I mean by that, I don't mean, you know, literally every night writing reams and reams of all of your thoughts and everything that's happened during that day, although some people find that really helpful. But just writing down those key thoughts, those key verses from the Bible, maybe things other people say to you that really encourage you or challenge you. Write them down. And I do that. And many of you say things to me that I think, yeah, that's something God might be saying to me. And I'll make a note of that. Or at one more prayer or in our staff meetings or in my own times with the Lord. Uh, or my times of prayer with Debs each morning. God is a God who longs to speak to us. But the problem is lots of us don't show up. We don't spend any time with him. So how can he speak to us? It's a real challenge for all of us. I know it's something I need to be better at, is being with God before I start doing for God. My impulse is to do stuff for God, get on with it, be an activist. But actually I'm learning that I need to slow down, to stop 
and actually find out what God's telling me to do rather than actually thinking I know. And we can only do that when we're still, when we stop, when we spend time with him. There's, there's absolutely, literally no other way. We can get away for a while with those sort of um, snack prayers of help me God now, I'll see you later. But we need those times where we just sit down and enjoy being with God, like having a, you know, a nice meal with friends or family. You know, we, cannot, we can survive on snacking, can't we? But it's not actually going to nourish us and deeply feed us. So that's really important that we spend that time with God. So maybe journaling is a way you can do that. It's a discipline for some of you. Just to, not necessarily every day, I don't write things down every day. Probably, I don't know, ten times a month maybe, I'll, I'll have an entry in my diary, in my journal. Sometimes it'll be a load of stuff. Sometimes it'll be more than that. It'll be every day for a week if I'm reading a particular book that's really speaking to me. So what, the way I start my retreat is that I read all of my journal from 2015. And honestly, it was mind-blowing. Because um, I'd forgotten loads of stuff that God had said to me. I'd forgotten loads of stuff that I'd set as goals for this year, which actually God has done and answered, and I'd, I'd forgotten. Amazing. But we forget. We forget. So I'd really encourage you not to forget what God says to you. Make a note of what God says to you. Because otherwise, you know, what are we saying about God speaking to us? We're saying, whatever. That was nice. I mean, maybe, you know, even listening to what I'm saying, there might be, you know, a micro part of it that might be speaking to you. Write it down. Not because I've, you know, not because it's not me. It might be that God speaks to you through me. We need to take that seriously. And if you're anything like me, you listen to a sermon and half an hour later, I've got a clue what it was about. That's not always because it's a bad sermon. It's just because we're not always good at remembering stuff. So if God speaks to you today through anything I say or Helen says or anyone else as we lead or as we've sung, write, please, please write it down. You know, these things we have in our pockets, or mine's over there, um, these are dangerous things. But they can be dangerous things for good. So this is my diary, this is my journal on here. So it's always with me. So there's no excuse for not making a note of what God might be saying to you. Because you've always got a way of making a note of it. If you're more into pen and paper, great. Make sure you have pen and paper with you in your Bible or somewhere that you can just make a note of what God is saying. So I can't stress that enough. important part of our confession is to remember and recall what God has done for us, to give him thanks and to um, recognise the way in which he is part of our story. The word history is literally his story. His story. That's what history is. It's God's story. God's interaction with his people throughout history, throughout time. And we are part of that. By the way, we're going to be um, doing a, starting a new series probably towards the end of February on, on the Eucharist, on communion. Does anyone know what the word Eucharist means? Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving. It's what we're doing when we, one of the things we're doing when we have Eucharist together, communion together, is thanking God, remembering what He has done. And it's not just about remembering objective facts, as I've said, but it's actually about entering into a story. 
And as the uh, Israelites entered into this story, as they recalled all that God had done for them, as I've mentioned already, it it held a mirror up to them and it made them realise how far short of God's ways they had fallen, how they'd literally wandered off away from his will. And so that's the second part of our confession, the second aspect, that confessing the truth of who we are, we need to be honest and be truthful about ourselves before God. This is the Israelites doing it in verse 17 um, and contemplating what had happened. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. That's their ancestors. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you, now listen to this, you are a forgiving God Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. You did not desert them. Having stated and remembered God's love and given thanks for God's love and his deeds in the past, it gives us confidence that when we come to God, he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is merciful, he is slow to anger and abounding in love. So when we come to God and confess our sins, we need to avoid the two extremes of that. We need to avoid the, woe is me, I'm a miserable worm, how could you possibly forgive me God? And we also need to avoid the, well you'll forgive me so whatever, it doesn't matter what I do. The truth is in the middle, that actually we are called to acknowledge our sinfulness where we have wandered away from God. But the truth is, is that God sees us through Jesus. Because he has redeemed us, he is righteous, and therefore we are seen as righteous, which simply means right before God. We are right before God because of what Jesus has done. All we have to do is acknowledge our sinfulness before God, acknowledge that, come before God and say, I'm sorry. That's it. That's literally all we have to do. And we are promised then that God will be merciful, that he will forgive us, uh, that he will uh, help us to grow in a life of transformation. And that's the thing. Confession isn't just a one-off thing that we do. We're going to do it in a moment. It's important to confess together, but that isn't it. If we literally just confess our sins once a week in church, that's, that's not enough. We need to come before God on a regular basis and say, Lord, please help me to go back towards you. Please forgive me where I've got things wrong. I want to reorientate my life towards you. Because spiritual growth, as I've said, is intentional. We have to enter in to a covenant, as it were, with God and say, I belong to you. I want to surrender to you. I want my life to be patterned after you. I want to follow you. I want to see what your Holy Spirit is doing. I want to join in. That's what we are called to do as Christians. And as you know, the way we frame that here at St Stephen's is to say that we are called to grow deeper in three dimensions. We're called to grow deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with one another in, and deeper in our relationships with those who are not yet Christians, deeper in our care for this environment, deeper in our care uh, or our seeking justice as we look outward. We need to grow and develop in each of those three dimensions if we're to mature and grow as Christians. And then in verse 32, the prayer turns from the past to the present. And then in 33, the Israelites pray, 
In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully, while we acted wickedly. So they're acknowledging not just the sins of the past, but actually their own sinfulness. They restate God's righteousness and faithfulness while acknowledging and taking responsibility for their own sin. So how can we make thanksgiving, remembering and confession of our lives? Well, it goes back to what I said. It goes back to spiritual disciplines. Confession in itself is a spiritual discipline. There's an ancient practice called the examine, which is simply at the end of a day saying to God two things. One, uh, thanking him for where you've seen him at work during the day, where maybe he's used you, or you've seen him in the lives of others. So remembering, confessing God's faithfulness, thanking him. And secondly, saying, Lord, this is where I don't think I was walking in step with your spirit today. I'm sorry. Very simple. I'm, I, I'm not yet doing this every night at all, um, but it's something I'm aiming towards is to just do that before I go to sleep. Just to thank God for where I've seen him at work during the day and secondly to saying sorry for where I know I've not walked in step with his spirit. It's just called the examine. Simple. Maybe that might be something you introduce into your life. I came across this quote about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate disciplines that promote spiritual growth. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practised by the people of God since biblical times. And there's a whole list of spiritual disciplines. Living simply, serving, fasting, worship, celebration, silence, solitude, praying the daily office. There's loads. Giving can be part of our, our spiritual discipline too. And of course, confession. Just as I come to an end, I just want to highlight one particular spiritual d- discipline that I've found life-changing. And... I hope you might too as you begin to think about it. And that is Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. Sabbath is simply stopping and recognising that God is in charge. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But the reality is is lots of us think we're in charge of everything. Certainly of our lives. And Sabbath is saying to God, no, you're in charge. I I can stop long enough for and the world is not going to collapse if I stop and that for me was part of you know going on retreat for four days is like an extended Sabbath and I tell you it's really hard because I left behind some issues and some stuff and I came back to some issues and some stuff but actually God guarded that time and I needed that time to know that actually the church the world my family wouldn't collapse without me Some of us have to really learn that. And the only way we can learn it is by almost forcing ourselves to stop. I meet several clergy who, when you say to them, so what things do you really enjoy doing? They'll go, um, they've forgotten. And I think some of us are like that. We've actually forgotten those things that really give us energy and give us life. We somehow feel guilty if we do things that are fun and that we enjoy because we're supposed to be productive and we're supposed to be doing stuff. I really urge you to practice Sabbath keeping. Start, start with a couple of hours on a Saturday morning. 
maybe deciding on a Saturday morning you're going to have a breakfast together with your family or you're going to go out for a nice walk or you're going to just do something fun, go on a bike ride, whatever it is, whatever gives you joy. Some of you might find joy in gardening. That for me wouldn't be Sabbath, that would be work. (laughs) Sabbath is different things for different people. But what gives you delight? Think about that now. What gives you delight? God says, go and do more of it. If it's legal. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I don't know where that came from either. That's the problem with preaching extempore. Um, Well, without looking at your notes. Anyway, scratch that one. Um, I'm sure it is. Um, But seriously, God gives us... Sabbath is God giving us permission to be human. To enjoy relationship, to enjoy the beauty of creation, to enjoy life. And to spend time with him. If you can't manage, you know, start with an hour, two hours on a Saturday if that's your Sabbath day. We'll all have it works for different, different patterns. Sunday might be your Sabbath day and you start with worship on a Sunday and then maybe this afternoon you, uh, you, have, a, you have a great lunch and then you go for a walk. You know, that can be your Sabbath. It doesn't matter when you do it, just do it. Just one final thing then. I've produced a little handout which I'll put on Facebook um, which is just about developing a rule of life. And all a rule of life is, is about being intentional about our spiritual disciplines and how we apply that to the whole of our lives. Because actually all of our lives are spiritual. It's not about having a spiritual compartment of our life and then our work and then our leisure. It's about all of our lives being a gift from God and living our life as if we believe that. Okay, well there's a whole heap of other things I can say. Let me just leave you with a quite a long quote actually about Sabbath keeping. I could just have that next one, Jeremy. I'll just leave you to read that. I know, it's long. So I'm making you work hard this morning. Hello, the intention is for you not to work hard. We have no time to rest because we are on a very important mission. Every moment is a necessary investment in the divinely ordained and completely unquestioning goal of progress. What we are building for the future is infinitely more important than whatever we have right now. Today, because it is not yet perfect, is always a bad day. This means that we have to work hard and long and never rest because our main task is to get out of here. Every time we finally reach the future, it vanishes into the present. This perplexing tendency of the future to keep eluding us does not, of course, teach us to be more present, but rather to accelerate faster. We double double our straining towards the future, never stopping to see where we are, never pausing to taste the fruits of our labour. Our true nourishment will come when we are successful, when we are rich, when it's our turn. Thus, satisfaction and delight are forever just out of reach. Sabbath challenges the theology of progress by reminding us that we are already and always on sacred ground. The gifts of grace and delight are present and abundant. 
The time to live and love and give thanks and rest and delight is now. This moment, this day, feel what heaven is like. Have a taste of eternity. Rest in the arms of divine. I know for a fact that will resonate with some of you. You just long for that day when life is slower. When you're not so busy. Well, guess what? That day will never come unless you intentionally slow down and take control of your life. No one else will do it for you. Only you can do that with God's help and with our help. You know, we can find the support of others because this is tough. It's much easier to work to solve a problem than to actually stop and rest and to pray. Much, much easier. You know, I came back to a a particular issue I need to sort out on Thursday evening and everything within me wanted to get it sorted on Friday. But I didn't. Because I knew I needed to work from a place of rest. And God has been faithful and things are okay. Let's pray. Can I write stand? And I'd really encourage you, if God is speaking to you today, write it down, tell somebody else, and get someone else to pray for you. There'll be an opportunity to be prayed for after you've received communion. Um, Go to someone you know, ask them to pray for you. I hope there'll be one or two members of the prayer ministry team in the prayer space. But just get someone to pray for you. Write it down. Don't put it on the end of your to-do list. So Lord Jesus, I come before you on behalf of this congregation and we confess to you the times where you have been faithful. We thank you for the times you've been faithful to us. Thank you you've always been faithful to us throughout our history that have been way markers along the way where you have blessed us richly as, we've, as people have had the courage to take steps of faith. And we also confess before you the times when we have fallen short of your ideals for us as a congregation, as a church, where we've not reached out to the broken and the lonely and the vulnerable, where we've been too inward-looking. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, where we have been too busy to stop and notice you, saying that uh, that that day will come in the future. Forgive us, Lord, for our warped sense of your purposes for our lives. And Lord, it's tough to swim against the tide of our culture but Lord give us strength to do that by your spirit just take a moment to allow God to just percolate something in your heart and mind something that's really resonated with you You have permission to get your phone out. Make a note of if you want, need to. God is seeking to rebuild his church. To bring restoration and renewal. 
that starts with us in our own personal lives. So let's use these, this confession that's on the screen. There'll be a response. Uh, when I say, Lord, have mercy, the response will be, Lord, have mercy. And then Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. The grace of God has dawned upon the world with healing for all. Let us come to him in sorrow for our sins, seeking healing and salvation. In the wilderness we find your grace. You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. There is no one, none but you, to uphold our cause. Our sin cries out and our guilt is great. Christ, have mercy. Christ, Christ have, have mercy. mercy. Heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. Restore us and we shall know your joy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, Lord have, have mercy. mercy. May the God of love and power forgive me, forgive us, and free me and us from our sins. Heal and strengthen us by his spirit. And raise us in new life in Christ our Lord. Amen.